to continue on in our series that we started uh, last week or two weeks ago, What Would Jesus Undo? And uh, we're just looking at some things, uh, you know, if Jesus was allowed permission to edit your life, what are some things uh, maybe going on in your life that he would want to say, uh, hey, let's try to undo that. Maybe, uh, maybe we shouldn't have gone down that path and, 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 and do that. And so what, it's really kind of a look into some scriptures about what was Jesus passionate about? What are the things he tend, tended to kind of pick on in people's lives? And, and I think if, especially if, well, I was going to say if you're new to church, but actually for all of us old timers too, I think that it might be a little surprising to us if we really think about what it was that Jesus picked on because it tends to be not what we pick on um, because Jesus picked on us. <laughs> he, picked on, he picked on religious people. And, and so, I mean, he, he was just ruthless with religious people. And so we're going to, you know, we, we started off talking about having authentic worship for, you know, versus, um, you know, uh, hollow worship. And, and last week we talked a little bit about uh, hypocrisy. Jesus was pretty tough on hypocrites. This week we're going to talk on spiritual pride, which kind of goes hand in hand, but, but a slightly different shade there. But we're going to talk about spiritual pride. So you guys have all heard the, uh, the phrase that, uh, you know, pride goes before a great, a great fall, right? And, and, uh, and, so, and that's so true. Who here can lift up your hand and say, you have fallen from great pride before in your life? Yeah, felon. That was not really a word. <laughs> felon? Is it a word? Huh? Oh, a felon. <laughs> yeah, I got you. All right. <laughs> All right. Felon. All right. Now, now I'm not going to be able to get that out of my head. Okay. So, yeah, we... We, uh, I, I mean, I've been through that. I can remember when I was uh, a teenager, maybe sophomore year of high school or something like that. This was when, this was Jeff at his prime. This is, this is me at a svelte 170 pounds. I am, I am 6'5", 170, athletic, playing sports. I'm, I'm that guy. And, and then uh, my, I start talking smack to my dad one night, who was at the worst shape of his life. And and five ten, um, and and I don't even know how much he weighed, but I remember he could balance a plate on his belly, and and um, and but anyway, so like he, uh, we I was just he said something about being fast, and I was like, you're not fast, and and uh, he's like, I could beat you in a race, and I was like, you're out of your mind, and so he's like, okay, tomorrow when you get home from school, let's get out in the street and we'll race. I was like, okay. I told all my friends, you guys got to come see this. I'm getting ready to bury my old man right in front of our house. And, and so we get out there. Somebody said, go. And all of a sudden, I'm staring at the backside of my dad the whole way down the street. And I was like, what in the world just happened? It was so embarrassing. I was, so, I was just crushed. And I, I look back, all my friends are rolling in the grass. They are laughing so hard. So, I mean, yeah, I, I'm that guy, though. I'm that guy that anytime I talk a little bit too much smack about myself, it's usually going to go south for me. You know, so there are some of you, you can talk smack and you just end up on top. You just always end up on top. That's not me. Like, I have, I've learned I have to be careful, even with my favorite sports teams. If I start talking smack around, in a, you know, a friend who is rooting for the opposing team, if I talk too hard, I'm going down. I'm jinxing my team. It just, it just happens. And so I've learned to just kind of let them talk smack. I stay quiet. And then at the end of the game, when I'm on top, I take a quick selfie of me smiling and then pouting. And that's, that's, that's it. That's what I do. But yeah, it's, I can remember also when I was a young man, early 20s, 
Uh, it was actually when I was in the army, and I was given the opportunity to preach at uh, one of the local chapels on post uh, by the chaplain that I worked for. I was a chaplain assistant in the army, and um, and so he gave me a Sunday night service to preach at, and I was really excited about it. But I I don't know why, but I just got super cocky about it. I really just I I just I had this uh, you know this it was one of those young you know young adult early twenty something you know pride moments I think that you learn you know, experiences that you learn from, you know, as you get older. But I just had this thought like, uh, I don't need to study. I'm just going to go preach. And so I didn't study. And, I was, I, my, and this is my plan. My plan was, I'm just going to preach on John 3.16. It's the easiest verse in the Bible. Everybody knows it. And I'm, surely I can, you know, rattle on for 30 minutes about that. And, and so I just showed up, and I died a slow, painful death for 30 minutes. With, and, and this was at the gospel service, a very energetic very participatory congregation, and it was just crickets the entire time. And, uh, and, I, and I, I finally said amen and walked off a little dejected and feeling embarrassed. And my chaplain was is this great guy. I love him so much. But he comes up to me and he says, uh, he says uh, how do you think you did there? And I said, uh, not good. He said, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> You say that was not good, <laughs> you know, right? And so that's the last time I have never, you know, like decided to not study for a, a sermon. But, but um, yeah, you know, it, we we have this way that when our when our pride can gets the best of us, it usually just does not go well for us. It just it just doesn't. I mean, you might slip by once in a while with that kind of stuff, but. Uh, but we've all seen it, whether it's been in your house or at church or at work. You've seen prideful people, you know, just take a nosedive. You've, in fact, you anticipate it. You can see it coming when it, you know, when that when you when that pride gets kicked up a certain to a certain level. You can just say, okay, 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 everybody turn on their cameras. This is gonna go. This is gonna be good, right? Because you can you just know somebody is getting ready to, and and we see it in society. We see it, you know, in our leaders. I mean, we it's still, you know, I remember back in the when I was younger, I don't know, 80s, 90s, you would hear relatively often in the news about, um, you know, kind of popular pastors who were caught up in scandals and, and you know, and, and lost their positions. And normally, back in those days, it tended to revolve around uh, sexual scandals, and that sort of thing. And lately, there's been a lot of pastors um, losing positions, um, that I've read about in the news, and it tends more today to revolve around issues of pride. Not so much um, sexual sin, although I know that still happens, and, and, and you, know, you hear about those things in the news too, but I've, I've heard of a lot of prominent, uh, you know, kind of, um, you know, I don't know, celebrity pastors that have fallen from their positions because just simply of their pride. They decided that they were untouchable. They decided that they didn't need accountability. They decided that they could do whatever they wanted to despite what other leaders in their churches thought. I mean, whatever the case may be. And, 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 you see, and it's really sad to see that take place. And, and we see it not just in churches, but we see it in politics all the time. You know, it, it's, it's the world that we live in. In fact, you know, last week we were talking about kind of hypocrisy and judgmentalism, and I was, I was just thinking earlier about how, you know, used to the world could point at churches as kind of the go-to source for hypocrisy, right, or church people. And I think actually nowadays 
the, the most judgmental people in the world that you're going to find are those people that you see on 24-hour news networks. It is out-of-control judgmentalism. I mean, and just, just broadcast 24 hours a day, constantly waiting to catch somebody in a mistake, constantly waiting to catch somebody in, a, in an error or a sin or whatever else. I mean, those news networks, and, it, and it's across the board, conservative, liberal, it doesn't matter. They're all doing it. They, it is the most judgmental atmosphere, and because it's so prevalent, it's in pop culture like that, it, it, it naturally bleeds down into the rest of our society, and we've become this society who, um, who are extremely judgmental because we hold these people up, whoever they are, a celebrity, a politician, a, you know, social activist, whoever it might be, we hold them up to this such high and impossible standard of perfection, basically, that when they fall, and they all will, when they finally do something you know, that, that, that goes against their message or goes against whatever, then, then it's just crucify, crucify, crucify. And we become this, this society of, well, and, and, well, there's a reason for it. And actually, Jesus hits on this reason uh, in this passage I'm going to read today. It's in Luke chapter 18. We're going to start with verse 9. Luke chapter 18. And um, Jesus tells a little parable. A little bit of parable here. <clears throat> he says this. He, he, it says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. I want to stop right there for just a second. He told, the parable he's going to tell, he told this parable uh, for, for those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and then treated others with contempt. Now, a lot of times when we hear that word righteous, a couple of different things come to our mind. A lot of times you hear righteous, you immediately think maybe self-righteous. We're familiar with the concept of a self-righteous person. And actually, this is what Jesus is talking about. That's, this passage is where that term self-righteous comes from. People who trusted in them, themselves that they were righteous. Self-righteous, okay? And so when we think about what righteous is or righteousness is, um, most of us tend to think about perfection, the kind of perfection that only God can accomplish. Only God is truly righteous, right? And so and that, there's actually a lot of... Uh, people, a lot of biblical scholars today that are, that are kind of rethinking that term righteousness as they're, as they're kind of diving deep into uh, culture and language and things like that. And they're, they're starting to think about it in terms, in fact, I've, I've seen a, several um, uh, newer translations that are beginning to translate that word righteousness. Instead of righteousness, they're using this, this little phrase, covenant faithfulness. Covenant faithfulness, and I, 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 if I'm honest, I'm actually kind of in, in agreement with it because it is this idea that when we talk about the righteousness of God, we're not so much talking about his perfection always, although that's true, that's not, it's not that that's not true, we're talking about that God is faithful to his promises. God is faithful to his promise. He has made a covenant with his people and he will fulfill and complete that covenant. And when we, can say, when we say we can count on the righteousness of God, we're saying we can count on the fact that God is faithful and he will complete what he started. He will do what he promised. That's, that's, that's the idea really behind the concept of of righteousness. Now, we get a little confused because the word right is right there in the middle of righteousness. But, and, and again, that's not a bad concept to have. It's, it's a perfectly great concept to have. God is right. God is just. God is perfect in all that he does. But for us to trust in ourselves for 
Righteousness is ridiculous. And so since we have become this culture of people who worship self rather than worship God, when someone falls from power, when someone falls from position, when someone falls from grace, our natural response is, since we no longer worship God and we worship self, is, you're not God, and we just crucify them. You're not God. You've held yourself up to this higher standard. You held yourself up as as this exemplary uh, conservative or there's this exemplary liberal or this exemplary uh, social activist or this, you know, celebrity that whatever that means. And you're not God. You held yourself up, but I see through you now you're not God. The The problem is that they never were God. They never were God. And if we continue this this path of worshiping self, and then we crucify each other when we realize each other is not God, then it's just going to be this continual downward spiral. Nobody wins in that. It's a a no-win situation. Nobody wins in that situation. There used to be a day, I think, when people could be imperfect and still accomplish good in the world. There really was. It's hard to believe nowadays. But there, but there used to be a day when people could, could own their faults and somebody, in fact, you, especially if you go back and read a lot of the, uh, the debates and back and forth and the, the letters and stuff of some of our founding fathers, you'll find that these guys were very, very imperfect men, very imperfect men, but who also accomplished a lot of good in the world that they lived in. They accomplished some bad, don't get me wrong. I mean, they, they did some things that we would look back on, and we do look back on nowadays and go, what in the world were they thinking? But a lot of times those guys would just simply own it. You know, somebody would be called out for, for you know, whatever, fill in the blank sin here, and they would just go, okay, yeah, I did that, but let's get back, you know, and they would just kind of own it and, you know, repent, apologize, whatever it took, and get, get on with business. The fact of the matter is, because none of us are God, none of us can be perfect, the truth is the matter. The truth of the matter is we're all going to fall. But a fall doesn't have to mean that you can be no earthly good to the world anymore. That's not that doesn't have to mean that. It's how you react to a fall. It's how you pride proud proud people are going to continue to fall. That's just human nature. But how a proud person then allows that fall to change them to to shape them in the way that they move forward in the future, whatever, that's really, the, that's really the key. That's really the key. So Jesus tells this little parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteousness, that they were righteous, and treated others with contempt. And here's the parable. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Okay? So Again, unpack your churchy brain because if you've been in church very long at all, as soon as you hear Pharisee, you hear evil. This is an ugly, evil person. This is a Pharisee. This is, these are the people who are constantly trying to attack Jesus and probably spearheaded his whole you know, uh, um, uh, execution. And the whole, like we hear Pharisee in church land and we hear evil. And I'm telling you, when these people that Jesus was telling the story to heard Pharisee. They didn't hear evil. They heard religious. Like moral. Good people. Goodish people. Judgmental, yes. But moral, upright, 
people versus on the other, you got Pharisee over here and then tax collector. For us, we hear tax collector. Well, we, none of us are fans of taxes, but we wouldn't necessarily call tax, you know, somebody who works for the IRS just flat out evil. <laughs> I'm, I'm just talking somebody who works for the IRS, <laughs> all right? Not the institution as a whole, okay? But to them, when they heard tax collector, they weren't thinking professional. They were thinking traitor to our nation and traitor to our faith. That's what they were thinking. They were thinking, um, um, you know, to, to kind of bring it home to us where, where we, a lot of us might think about it today, and I don't mean this in any kind of offensive way or anything like that, but they might be thinking instead of Islamist extremist convert. Someone who has pitted themselves against everything that we as a nation and we as a people stand for, right? And so, because that's what a tax collector, a tax collector was somebody who worked for Rome, who was the occupying country of, of Israel, and, and basically they would collect taxes, send it to Rome, and they would collect extra and, extra and keep it for themselves. They were getting rich off the backs of their brothers and sisters, and they had sided with the enemy against their own people and their own faith. So Jesus holds up these two people, one a moral, upright, religious person, another one a traitor to everything that the nation of Israel stood for. And he says, they both went into the temple to pray. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I get. So the, the Pharisee goes into the temple and stands up big and proud and prays this very big, loud and proud prayer and just begins to thank, thank you, God, that you have delivered me. Thank you, God, that you have enlightened me so that I don't have to live lives like other people live, people who are evil people who are adulterers, people who extort other people for money, even this, tax, this joker tax collector over here in the corner. Thank you, God, so much that I am not like other men. I fast twice a week. Not just once, twice a week. I give, down to the very penny, a tenth of everything that you bless me with. Now, is there anything wrong with fasting? Absolutely not. It's a good thing. It's a very good spiritual discipline. Where um, us as chubby Americans, we don't really get into it that much, but but it is a good spiritual discipline. One that I would in, in very hypocritically encourage you to do. <laughs> is there anything wrong with um, tithing? Absolutely not. It's a great thing. It's a good thing. It's a it's a it's a thing that is a blessing to you because it grows your heart of generosity. It also is a blessing to God's kingdom work and people in need. It's it's a good thing to be a tither. But if you're trying to stand before God and offer up your good works as some sort of you know weak attempt to earn favor with a holy, perfect, righteous God you're kind of barking up the wrong tree. You really don't understand what this faith is all about. Are those things good? Absolutely they're good. Are they God? No, they're not. Even good things, if they're, put, if they're given the wrong priority, can 
become the opposite of God things if we're not careful. And so, yes, do good things. Do good works. Serve people in need. Go ahead and, 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 and grow that heart of generosity and be a, a, a faithful giver. Do that. Fast and pray and study scripture and do all these things that will help us to draw closer in our relationship to God. Those are all good things. But those things do not make you righteous. Nothing that you do can possibly make you righteous. Nothing. The only thing that can make you righteous is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. Nothing. And we, again, we live in this world where, where everybody wants to talk about self-worth, and we got to build people up, especially with our kids. We've got to build them up. We've got to make them believe. Something came up in my, my Facebook memories uh, I was looking at this morning, and um, it was a picture I took at, like, the, what do they call the, 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 when you go to see your kid's class for the first time, what's that night called? Back to school? Back to school night? I was at back to school night with one of my kids, and up on the board, there were these pictures of kind of founding fathers and Martin Luther King and you know, some, some different, you know, kind of heroes of our nation. And then there were these little things underneath. And it wasn't really quotes. I don't know why. I, I couldn't make the connection. But anyway, um, somewhere there was this phrase up there that said, Everybody can be first all the time. I was like, that's the most asinine thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> like, it, it makes zero sense at all. Like, I mean, just, just from a pure practical standpoint, it just does not make any sense. Everybody cannot be first. Go into the DMV and try to apply that to your life. <laughs> Everybody can't be first all the time. And even on some sort of greater, I don't know, you know, ideological framework, it's not even true. It's just not true. And yet we, we live in this world where, where we want to make kids or each other or whoever, we want them to feel so valuable and so worthwhile and have all this sense of self-worth and everything else. And yet over and over and over throughout scripture, we are told, actually, the truth is there's nothing worthwhile about you apart from Jesus Christ. That's, that, again, in today's world, that's a hard truth for us to hear. That's a hard thing for us to kind of get our heads around because we've just been told so much the exact time. And I'm not saying that, that you guys are all completely lousy human beings. I, there are plenty of good and decent people out in the world that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We know that. But, I'm just, but it's this idea of self-righteousness. You cannot find worth in yourself. You cannot find righteousness in yourself apart from from the image of God that is in you, apart from the Holy Spirit who lives in us as believers, that's where our true sense of worth and our true sense of identity comes from. That's where we... Now, you can place your identity in other things, but I'm telling you, you're building up idols that will eventually crumble. They just will. They're not necessarily even bad things. Place all your identity in your kids. Do that. And you might find some level of fulfillment in that. In fact, you might put all your eggs in that basket and just live to build up your kids and serve your kids and everything. And then, and then I've seen it happen over and over and over again. When the kids move on, your world comes crumbling down. You realize you have a marriage that you neglected for 
20 years, and you have nothing around you. Because guess what? Those kids that you put everything into, now they're going on to their own lives. No mom or old dad is not priority number one to them. They're building as they should. They're building their own families. They're building their own lives. They're building their own careers. And you'll get a call occasionally or a visit occasionally or whatever. That's just the natural order of life and the natural order of things. You can put your, all those eggs in really good baskets, but if they're not the God basket, it, you're building up ultimately what will eventually be an idol that will just crumble. It'll just crumble. It cannot bear up the weight of your worship. That's why so many of you, I've, I've talked to so many people who have really frustrated relationships with their adult children, and it's because you spent years worshiping your children, and they can't handle the weight of your worship. They cannot handle it. And eventually, like, well, just go watch Dr. Phil. Every single episode of Dr. Phil is that. Every single episode of Dr. Phil. Do that. Like, it's, it's, just, it's just the nature of things. So, that was the first guy. The second guy does this. But the tax collector, verse 13, the tax collector standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus says this, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So the the, the tax collector, knowing he is considered a traitor of the nation, has the gall to show his face at the temple, stands off in a corner, away from the proud praying Pharisee, just standing, head bowed. He can't even hardly look around, just beating his chest. God, have merciful. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, this is the guy who went home justified that day. Not the, not the Pharisee, not the religious guy, not the moral guy. That's the guy who went home justified. That word justified is a really great little Christianese word. And I was taught in Sunday school that justified means just if I'd never sinned. Just if I'd never sinned. In other words, God looks on your life not because of what you've done, not because of how much you've tithed or how much you've fasted, But he just looks on your life through the lens of Jesus Christ. And he counts you as righteous. Not because of what you've done, but because he gives you the righteousness of Christ. Just if I'd never sinned. This is really, really great news for a lot of us, actually for all of us in this room. But especially for some of you who have come in today, maybe for the first time or the first time in a really long time, you're maybe a little nervous about coming to church. And, you know, I hear people all the time coming in, it's like their first time coming in church in years or or ever, and they're, you know, they're making jokes about, I'm worried the ceiling's going to cave in on me or whatever, you know, like God's just going to go, what? How dare you come into my building? You know, that's like that, that's, that's not, the good news is that God is willing to not look at you for you, but to look at you for Jesus. He's willing to go, yeah, 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 I know. 
I know, I know, I know there's some things in your past. I get that. I know there's some baggage. I know you railed against me. I know you've you know, gone and sowed your, sowed your wild oats or whatever you want to say. But here's the thing. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Just put your faith in Jesus, and we're square. We're square. That's really, really great news because the truth of the matter is, whether you're here brand new just considering faith or you're a long-time person of faith, you're that old Pharisee, the truth of the matter is like we all need that grace, every single one of us. And according to Jesus, all of us Pharisees needed a little bit more than the others. Like we need that grace. Why? Because it's just our natural bent to, I've talked about this last several weeks, but it is, it's just our natural bent to kind of float towards being a Pharisee, to float towards hypocrisy. We're all out of alignment naturally in our lives. And if you just go autopilot, you will naturally veer off towards something you don't want to be. It's just the way it works. And it's only through realigning ourselves through Jesus Christ, just simply having that attitude of, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So here's the deal. A lot of us, we pray that prayer. We, you know, we decide we're going to be a, a person of faith. And so we, we say a quick prayer and, and you know, you know, God, forgive me of my sins, and I want to follow you. I want to commit my life to you. And then some of us get in our head that we're no longer sinners, that I used to be this sinner. Now I'm a Christian. No, 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 no. You're, you're, you're still a sinner. You're just hanging out in a different room now, right? It's just, it's, you're still a sin. We still sin. We still, and, and I, want to, I just want to encourage you, like, never lose the spirit of God be merciful to me, a sinner. Never lose the spirit of that, ever ever. It should be in almost all of your prayers. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Why? Because it recogni- it's, this, it's this beautiful little act of submission where you recognize who God is and who you are. Yeah, okay, maybe I've been a Christian for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Am I any less a sinner today than I was back then? No, I'm still a sinner. I'm just covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm covered under the grace of God. I'm still, I'm still going to sin. I'm still capable of sin. I still sin. I still, I still do that. But God has covered me, and he has forgiven me, and he is changing me. He is making me more like himself, but I'm still a long ways off. Still a long ways off. So when we pray, be merciful to me, a sinner, I think it's our way of actually not only asking that, but also it's this, it's this spirit of gratitude for his grace. I live in this constant gratitude that I serve this gracious God who forgives me even though I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it any more now than I deserved it back then. Go ahead, add up all your hours of service to the church and the community and stack that up against someone who's given none. Are you any more deserving of God's grace? No. Add up all the money that you've given compared to someone who has not given a dime. Are you any more deserving of God's grace? Absolutely not. It doesn't matter. Like, is it, is it not important that we're good people? No, it's extremely important. The Bible talks about that. It's extremely important that we allow the Holy Spirit to transform our lives. Because Why? Because the world is watching the world is looking for a savior. 
And we have the news and the information that they need to get to that Savior. And the way we live our lives does absolutely matter. It absolutely matters. But we don't earn our way to heaven through those good works. It just, it just doesn't work that way. So this is the big point today, is that when we are full of ourselves, there is no room for God. When you're full of yourself, there's no room for God there. So just everybody in the room, stop thinking about who else. It would be great if they could hear this message. Think about yourself for just a second. Just think about yourself and just ask yourself, do I get full of myself in terms of my faith at times? Do I, do I find myself comparing my faith to the faith of others? Do I find myself trying to think, you know, thinking better of myself because I'm not trapped in certain sinful behavior that I used to be trapped in? Do I find myself lifting myself up because of the spiritual choices or the spiritual disciplines that I'm, I'm doing today? Do, do, I, do I do that? Am I so full of myself that there's no room for God? This is such an easy trap to fall into. Super easy trap for us to fall into. Why? Because, because it's... It, it, we do feel a little bit proud when, when we are further down the spiritual road than we used to be. You know, there's a good pride and there's a bad pride. You, you guys get that, right? I mean, it's, it's okay to be proud of your kids. That's, that's, that's a good thing. It's okay to be proud of your accomplishments. That's, that's fine too. But sometimes that pride can then cause us to look down our noses at everybody else around us if we're not careful. And you've got to keep that in, in, in a healthy balance. Like you've got to keep that in check, or because if it's left unchecked, it'll just it'll take you to places you don't want to go. It'll make you a person you don't want to be. It'll make you the very person that you used to look at from a distance in a church and going, oh, there's no way I would ever be that person. No way I would ever be that person. And then 20, 30, 40 years down the road, you're, you're saying all the same things. You're doing all the same. You're judging the same way. It's so easy to get so full of ourselves. Like there's, no, there's nothing better about me than anybody else apart from Jesus Christ. Nothing. I used to take kids, when I was a youth pastor, I used to take them down to San Francisco. There was, they have a YWAM base in San Francisco, and we would do this thing called Friday Night Evangelism where we would, uh, we would they just send us out into the streets. It was in the Tenderloin, which you guys know is a real shady area of, of the city, and they would send us out in the street with these uh, thermoses full of hot chocolate and some cups, and we would just go walk up to uh, homeless people and drug dealers and prostitutes and just say, hey, you want some, want some hot chocolate? And, you know, they'd always take some, and, and we would just say, hey, how can we be praying for you? And that was it. And we, it. But that would lead to these really great conversations with people a lot of times, right? And every single time I took a group of teenagers into the city for that, for that activity, they always walked away with this uh, revelation, and that was... The only thing that separated them from that person doing God knows what out on the streets on a regular basis was just a couple of choices. Just a couple. It wasn't even, wasn't even a thousand choices. It wasn't a thousand big sins. It was a couple of choices that, kept, that, that separated them from that person. Like we're all just a couple of choices from being the people that we maybe stare down our noses out at. All of us. All of us. These lives, these spiritual lives, they're fragile. They're fragile because we're not God. Like God in himself is not fragile. We are. And we're trying to 
put the Holy Spirit in us, contain the Holy Spirit in us, walk around in these very fragile jars of clay, as, as Paul talks about, with, with the power and the treasure of the Holy Spirit in us. And sometimes we're so fragile that we can barely contain it. Sometimes we're so fragile that we can barely contain it. Don't think so highly of yourself that you begin to see this major separation between you and someone else. This is what, the, what has got the church in so much trouble over the years is that we actively separate ourselves from the very people that we're trying to reach. Now, there should be some sort of difference between us and the world, right? The, the, the Holy Spirit in us should make us different. That's fine. But when we hold the world at bay and it becomes us versus them, then we're no, we're no good to anybody. In fact, we become those people that Jesus attacked on a regular basis. So we cannot do that. When we're full of ourselves, there's no room for God. But the other side of that is this, is that when we empty ourselves, we can be filled by God's grace. When we empty ourselves, we can be filled by God's grace. You want to make room for God in your life, you've got to get rid of a lot of you. You've got to get rid of a lot of you. You have to get yourself to a place where you are in a position to even receive God. And part of that is, again, recognizing who God is and who you are. That you are not God. There is a God, and it's not you. You're a person in need of a holy, loving, just, righteous, perfect God. You're the person in need. And when you recognize your need like that tax collector did, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me, a sinner. God can occupy that space. He can absolutely occupy that space. But if you sit here convinced that you really don't need God that much because you've kind of got this life thing figured out, you're just cruising spiritually. Like I, really, I, I know pretty much everything there is to know. I've read the Bible, at least half of it. I, 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 I feel like you know, I'm a I'm much better person than I used to be. And you just hang on to these weak little truths. You just kind of keep hanging on to that stuff. Then you are crowding God out. God said he is, he is greatest in our weakness. You want to see God move greatly in your life? then admit the weakness of your life. I've loved this last week. Last Sunday, I made a joke. Um, uh, well, I made it in both services, but I, second service, I added a little flavor to it. And, um, but about how, you know, Facebook can be so hypocritical and we should just be ourselves. On, how, wouldn't it be great if all we ever posted was the worst moments of our life on Facebook? And, and, then, and then second service, I said, everybody should just start doing that. And then hashtag life sucks, hashtag living hope church. And so uh, you guys rose to the occasion, uh, and, and it's been kind of awesome to see you guys po posting some uh, uh, weak moments of, of, your, of your week, and, but, but it's, that, that's great. I love that so much. I love the spirit of it. I love the spirit of, yeah, we don't have it all figured out just because we know Jesus. Like, my life is not perfect just because I go to church. My, I, I don't, you know, whatever, my kids don't just magically obey because I did my quiet time this morning. In fact, they probably came up to you and punched you in the back of the head while you were doing your quiet time, right? And so, so like, it's not, that's, 
that's just real life. We, we do this thing in the midst of our real life, and we don't have to project something that's not true so, to attract other people. Project what's really going on. People will be turned on by that. You won't be able to keep them away. You won't be able to keep them away. And so let's just continue to be who God has made us to be, who he's also making us over to be. I don't want to downplay the role of the Holy Spirit to change our lives because you start following Jesus, you will be changed. You will be. You will at some point be able to look back over the last 10, 20 years of your life and going, man, I'm not there yet, but I'm also not where I used to be. That's a good thing. That's a, in fact, it's a great thing. But just because you're a little closer to God does not make you God. It doesn't make you God. I can teach my dog to shake, but he's not a people. He's still going to go inappropriately lick himself in the corner of the room after we're done, right? That's just, he's, he's, not, he's never going to stop being a dog. You can, can get yourself made over, and you should, to where you begin to resemble God a little bit more and more as the years go by. But I'm telling you, it does not make you God. There is no righteousness in you apart from Jesus Christ. None. None. Any righteousness that comes from me is Jesus working through me. I'm just the vessel. Just the vessel. And so... We should be the vessels that God has called us to be, which again, if you listen to Paul, he says we are these, these jars of clay that can crush pretty easily. If you squeeze a little too hard, they can crush. But we are filled with the most amazing treasure, the treasure of the Holy Spirit, the treasure of the presence of God in our lives. God no longer temples in a temple. He does not temple in these four walls. He does not reside in any building anywhere. God has chosen to temple his presence in you. And that's a heavy, heavy thing. But it's a beautiful, beautiful gift. It's a beautiful treasure. There's nothing greater in your life. You want to undo spiritual pride in your life, get a real clear view of who God is and who you are and never lose that spirit of God have mercy on me a sinner. God have mercy. Let's pray. Pray this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. And he actually teaches us in one aspect uh, of this prayer exactly what I was talking about this morning. See if you catch it. Ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for your word to us this morning. We thank you that you want to set us free from the pride that we so naturally gravitate towards. And God, so I pray, pray that you would uh, do something that's near impossible in our lives, which is to help us recognize our own pride. It's so easy to recognize it in other people. It's almost impossible to recognize it in ourselves. So God, help us to see that. Give us clarity of vision about ourselves and about who you are. And God, where any pride exists that's unhealthy, that is crowding you out, where that is building ourselves up instead of glorifying you, God, I pray that you would convict us of that, that you would uh, help us to rid ourselves of that. 
and that you would just continue this process, this beautiful process that you have us in of, over time, making us more and more like you. We do thank you. We thank you so much that for those of us who have been Christians for a while, we can hopefully look at our lives and go, yeah, we're not there yet, but we're also not where we used to be. So thank you for delivering us from sins that we used to be trapped in. Thank you for delivering us from attitudes and from um, behaviors that used to keep us from you. Uh, But God, also help us to realize that we're still just a decision or two from entering back into those behaviors and those attitudes. And, And so we thank you for your grace and we ask you so much, continue to have mercy on us, all of us sinners. We love you. And uh, we, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.